church. How are we this morning? You guys grateful to be in the house on this much anticipated opening weekend of deer season. Amen. And y'all must be better hunters than I am because I see a lot of dudes in here and I'm like, yeah, they already got theirs. But hey, if you did, that's awesome. Congratulations. But hey, we're grateful that you chose to be in the house today. And you know what? Yesterday was Veterans Day. Um, and I just want to take a brief moment. If you are active military, retired military, even if you're in the service, firefighter, police officer, um, EMT, any of that kind of stuff, would you just take a moment to stand up? I just want to honor that this morning. Is there any... Amen. Amen. Hey, from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of our heart, thank you so much for your service and your dedication to this country. It is very, very much appreciated. Amen. Hey, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Ryan Huff. And if this is your first time joining us at Destiny Church, I want to personally welcome you this morning. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to have you join us today. We love our first time guests, don't we, church? Um, I do have one favor to ask you in a seat around you. There's a welcome card. If you'll take just a brief minute to fill that out, um, takes like two minutes to fill that out. You can take it to our welcome table located outside the lobby after service is over. We want to make a connection with you. We just want to make a connection with every single person that walks through our doors. Um, we'll get you a little free gift for joining us today. There's no strings attached. So if you would just do me that favor, please. So we've been going through the book of James verse by verse. You guys been enjoying this? Yeah taking a deeper dive into the scriptures and really learning the culture, the concept, and the context of the word. And it's been challenging, hasn't it? Yeah. Hey, if it doesn't challenge us, it doesn't change us. Amen? Amen? James is exhorting to believers what living this faith out truly looks like. And Pastor Jesse led us last week and finished up chapter two. Didn't he do a great job? I love that God has given each of us specific gifts and qualities, and he's definitely blessed Jesse with the ability and the gift of teaching the word. And I love you, Jesse, because you're not afraid to take on the hard and controversial scriptures. He takes them head on, and I love that. It's such an encouragement. But he taught us last week that our faith, our belief in Christ must be accompanied with actions. Our faith should produce good works from within us. And Jesse said that our faith, when accompanied with works, is powerful. Our works animate our faith. Our works demonstrate our love and our works increase our intimacy with the Lord. And the challenging question he presented when he left yet last week was, is our faith living and active? So this morning we're going to go and dive into chapter three, and I'm going to piggyback off of one of Jesse's points that our actions and our speech should be the expression of our love. So if you brought your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me to James chapter 3? I'll be starting in verse 1, going through verse 12. It's a pretty lengthy scripture, so bear with me as we get through it. If you didn't bring your Bible, it should be on the screen for you to follow along. So James chapter 3, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, 
a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles, sea creatures have been tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human, me- human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouths come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you so much for this church and this body. Lord, I thank you that we just have the ability to be able to come in here and worship our King, that you gave your life for us. And just like Sam said, God, you didn't, we don't deserve it, but Lord, you just, you just did it because you love us and you care for us. And so Father, we're here today just to glorify you, to bring you worship and praise that you so lovingly deserve. And I just pray, God, that we can just receive the truth of your word this morning. Lord, that we don't only hear your word, but we've been learning and we've been encouraged this entire past few months to be able to take your word and apply it to our life, that our faith that we possess inside of is supposed to have action. And God, I pray that we can not only hear your word today, but God, we can be transformed by it, that we can receive it, that we can acknowledge it, and that we can, be, that we can leave different than when we came in. Lord, I pray that you just have your way. I pray that you soften the hearts and the minds this morning. Lord, today's message, you already know it. It's a little bit punchy this morning, but God, I just pray that there's not a spirit of offense, but that we can take this word and receive it and God use it to glorify you. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm really starting to question why I keep getting these passages that have to do with speech um, and what comes out of our mouths. Pastor Ethan swears to me that it's just by luck of the draw, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to have an investigation to make sure this is premeditated or not, because obviously the last couple times that I've spoken, I've had to speak on what comes out of our mouths, right? And I'm pretty sure if I'm right, James is five chapters long, and every chapter James mentions either the tongue or speech or what comes out of our mouths at some point. So this probably is the last time that I'm going to be up here talking about what comes out of our mouths, right? Hey, if it doesn't challenge us, it doesn't change us. Amen? Amen. And I know God is the one who keeps giving me these verses because he's been challenging me through this process. He's been making me more aware that I need to be conscious of what I say and how I say it. And we all have areas of our lives where we need refining and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. And this just happens to be one of mine. Trust me, there are very many. I know there are very many, but God has really been revealing to me in these last few months that I have work to do. Faith requires action. Amen? Amen. James starts off chapter 3 by stating that not many of us believers should become teachers because there's a stricter judgment for those who teach, shepherd, and pastor. And being a teacher was highly valued and sought after in Jewish culture. It was a respected profession. And many believers who embraced Jesus and the Christian walk desired to become teachers. And it's good to aspire to de- and desire to teach. But James is warning us that those who teach are not only responsible for their own walk in faith, but also in the walk of those whom they are ministering to. And he warns us that what comes out of our mouths has the ability to impact that. 
And in Matthew 12, 36, it says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. And those chosen and called to preach and teach the word aren't to take this calling lightly. And they should not do it for selfish gain. Our words and our actions can and will have an impact on the spiritual lives of those around us. And I would even take it a step further in saying not only those who teach and preach from a pulpit, but every believer has the ability to influence those around us, either positively or negatively. Our words carry weight, right? And Jesus said to those who have been given much, much will be required. And James is stating that those who seek a position in teaching will be judged more strictly. And both James and Jesus remind us that there's an additional dimension of character and spiritual maturity in becoming a teacher. And every time that we teach, we should keep in mind the serious fact that we will stand before the Lord and give an account. So my question is, how are you affecting those you lead? In verse 2, James goes on to say, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And one commentary I read stated it like this. It says, Perfect does not mean sinlessly perfect, but rather mature. We can never achieve sinless perfection in this life, but we can grow to spiritual maturity. And one important gauge of that is our speech. And James himself knew that he was far from perfect. That's why he said we all stumble, and he's including himself in that passage. And remember when we first began this series, we expressed in the very beginning that even James, Jesus' own half-brother, didn't claim to believe who Jesus said he was. And James would voice his doubts and his concerns, and he even mocked Jesus to the point of going around stating and claiming that Jesus was out of his mind. And I'm sure this didn't have a positive impact on Jesus' ministry. And it had major implications on those who were around James at that time. And the Apostle Paul commands us in 1 Corinthians 8 through 9, it says, Do not allow our freedom to become a stumbling block. And in the context in which Paul is using it, that word being a stumbling block means our words, our actions, and our behavior is hurting the cause of the gospel. And so Jesus, James, and Paul all express how vital it is that we monitor and control what comes out of our mouths. For Jesus spoke in Matthew, he said, Before by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And Pastor Jesse taught us the last two weeks about faith and works, right? And in Matthew 12, Jesus isn't necessarily teaching that it's justification through works, but like James is teaching us in chapter 3, Jesus was teaching us that our works will reveal whether our faith is genuine. The words that we speak will have, they will, they will cause us to either be fruitful or non-fruitful. So he's telling us that our faith, the words that we speak will reveal whether we truly believe in Christ, that our faith is genuine. And I know this might be controversial, and I know some of us might want to argue this fact, but our words will validate whether we are true believers or not, and whether we put our hope and our faith in Christ. Because church, here's the deal. If we have truly claimed to follow Jesus, then our words and the way that we live our lives should be a reflection of that. Amen? We're going to slip up. We're going to stumble from time to time. We're flesh. That's why James says we're all going to stumble. 
None of us are perfect. But as followers and true believers, we'll be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And when we do get convicted, we'll ask God to forgive us. And He will. Amen? And we should have a desire within us to advance the gospel and to be the light of Christ, not to hinder it. And our words hold so much weight and power. And James is telling us that we should acknowledge that fact and make a conscious effort to control it. So let's move on to verses 3 through 5. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very tiny rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And I use this illustration of a bit and a bridle when I spoke on controlling the tongue back in chapter one. Were you guys here for that illustration? You guys remember I brought the, the horse and the bridle? And James uses this analogy along with the rudder of a ship. And both the horse and the ship are very large in size, especially when compared to a tongue. And that the bit that is placed into the horse's mouth is small. And the rudder of a ship is small. But both are powerful in controlling and directing the horse and the ship. The entire horse can be controlled by the very small bit when it's guided by the rider. And the massive ship can be steered and piloted in the direction it wants to go by a very tiny rudder, even when it's up against very strong winds. And James's comparison here in chapter 3 isn't so much the control of the tongue necessarily, but, he is, but it is the disproportional size of the tongue in comparison to the body. James is saying that the tongue is a very, very small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. He's saying, don't underestimate the power of something so small. The bit and the rudder have extreme influence over the vessels, as does the tongue over the body. And if we control our tongues, it can direct our lives into what is pleasing and honoring to God. And if we choose not to, it can lead us into trouble, right? And both the bit and the rudder must overcome contrary forces to direct the horse and the ship. And I'm not a horse person. I like horsepower, but I know very, very little about horses. I just know that they're powerful, right? I just know they're powerful creatures. And I know certain terms that are associated with horses, like I got to pee like a horse and like the term workhorse and stuff, right? But I don't know very much about horses. <laughs> got to keep it lively, right? I just know that they're useful animals when they're controlled and directed, right? Y'all ain't going to remember anything else other than the fact that I said I got to feel like a horse from the stage. Everybody's writing that in their notes. They're taking notes this morning. I just know they're useful when they're controlled and directed. And if not, I'm sure they can become very, very dangerous, right? And a ship is useful as well, too. A ship uses, it, it, can call, it can haul cargo, it can haul freight, it can haul people, people go on cruises. Um, so ships are useful tools and vessels as well. And they both can accomplish good things. But the bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder on the ship must be controlled by a strong hand that knows how to handle them properly. And if you let me take the reins of a horse, I might be able to control it for a little while, maybe, but I can assure you at some point, I'm going to lose control because I'm not experiencing that. 
And that horse is either going to buck me off or I'm going to fall off or it's going to get out of control and then I'm going to fall down and then something's going to come out of my mouth that isn't fruitful and edifying to the body and it's not advancing the gospel and I'm going to find myself up here again preaching on the words that come out of our mouths. But in the same way that the bit and the rudder must be controlled by a strong, experienced hand, James is saying the tongue must overcome the contrary force of the flesh and we must surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and his strong and wise counsel if we're going to control our mouths. Proverbs 18.21 says the tongue has the power of life and death and those who eat it will love or those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 21.23 says those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. So James wants us to recognize that we will be held accountable for how we use our tongues, especially those who teach God's word. So obviously, church, I have plenty of work to do. That's why I'm up here speaking on what comes out of our mouths, because God's not done working on me yet either. So let's see what else James has to say. James 3, 5 through 8 says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body, and it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison." We've all witnessed the catastrophic, da catastrophic damage that happens when a forest catches fire, right? And recently, Maui's experienced some, some really, really devastating um, wildfires, and it's consumed over 17,000 acres, and there's been over 99 deaths because of this. And I go to Idaho, um, not every year, but most years, to go out there to elk hunt, and it seems like every single year, at some point, wildfires break out, and it can consume an entire valley, an entire canyon, an entire mountain range. And some of these fires are set by nature, some are by arson, and some are by a very, very small spark that wasn't ever meant to cause extensive damage. But either way, the results are completely devastating, wiping out tens of thousands of acres and destroying everything in its path. And it takes years to ever begin to start the healing process and begin to start growing back. And James is using this comparison to the words that we speak. Though small at times, they have the ability to cause complete devastation. And sometimes the healing process takes an extensively long time. You guys visual learners? You like, do you like visuals? Do you like illustrations? I tend to like, who said no? Somebody said no. <laughs> I tend to learn a little bit better when I see something or I can apply something to my life. So like when I get the opportunity to speak, I like to Use visuals, if I can find something that the scriptures relate to. So I've got some stuff up here this morning, and you, the guys are going to be really impressed. I'm not sure that the women will, but, but I'm going to use a little bit of illustration this morning to kind of get my point across and try to get James's point across. Now, I'm going to talk to the men briefly for a second, but you men know when the conditions are right with your woman. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Amen? Yeah. Come on, man. You know when the conditions are right, and you know what I'm talking about. And you know enough to know when the conditions aren't right for that, right? 
Some of you guys, you don't know your wives very well. Okay, next week we're preaching. We're taking a break from James. We're preaching on marriage. But, but we better know, you know, we should know enough to know that when, when there's times that our women are not to be messed with, right? Like I know my wife, there's times when the conditions are extreme. The conditions are extremely dry. There might be a burn ban going on, a fire warning. And so it's like, all right, I know when the queen is not to be messed with, and I'm not even going to attempt to, to do something crazy. But how many of us, I'm talking to everybody in here, how many of us like to aggravate our spouses? Come on, we're in church. We like to aggravate. Why is that? Like, like, I know there's times in my life, like I should do something, I'm like, man, you know, I shouldn't say that, but I mean, you know, it rained last night, so it's a little damp outside. I know I'm not gonna, probably going to cause a forest fire, and I know I shouldn't, but Lord, forgive me, I'm like Paul in Romans. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? I don't know, but sometimes I like to poke the bear. Sometimes I like to go around throwing little bitty sparks and saying little bitty gigs at my wife, and I can, I can poke the bear, and I can, I can nudge some things every once in a while. It's like, oh, it's not no big deal. It's harmless. We can go around, and we can have fun, and it's fun to aggravate and tease, but there's times I also know that I better keep my mouth shut. Y'all feel me? Like, there's times you better just keep your... It's not even funny to throw a little bitty spark. You better just keep your mouth shut. But some of us will walk around flicking little bitty sparks. You know what I mean? And it's just like the illustration that I use. Some are set by arson. Some are set by nature. And some are set by a very, very tiny, small spark that wasn't intended to cause specific damage. Because I know if I go around throwing little bitty small sparks when it's not the right conditions, the results that are going to incur are going to be devastating, <laughs> most likely to me. But some of us want to walk around flicking little bitty sparks and on the conversations, and it's fun to poke, and it's fun to prod, and it's fun to gig, you know, at times, and it's harmless. It's not, it's not that big of a deal, right? And then there's some of us, you know, we might get a little bit more intense. You know, some of us around here, I would consider us, you know, we're lighters, if I can get this thing to work, you know. So we're not constant flame. We're not necessarily a spark. And when somebody gets close to us or, and we're conversing in our conversations, you know, we're, we're flammable. And if we get up next to something that's flammable, it's probably going to catch fire, right? A spark might just hit it. And if the conditions are right, the spark's probably going not necessarily to set something on fire. But if I'm a lighter and the conditions and the conversation might not be wet enough, in it, or, or the, the, you know, something's flammable. I'm trying, you, you guys follow what I'm trying to say? Like if I'm sitting here and I'm a constant light, something's probably going to catch fire if the condition's right and it's flammable, right? And that's some of you guys. Now, some of us in here are a little bit more extreme because that doesn't do me any good if I'm trying to light a fire. Like, I don't like lighters. Like if I'm lighting candles in the houses, I'm literally getting my torch because, hey, listen, I can, I can use this and this is what a man uses, right? Like, I need a fire. I'm not going to sit there and rub two sticks together. I'm getting my torch out, and I'm causing a fire. You know, and some of us in our conversations, we'll walk around, and you know, this take, faith requires action, right? Setting fires requires action. I have to literally turn this on, and I have to push the button and ignite it. And so this is intentional, wouldn't you say? So if I'm walking around igniting fires into conversations, 
You can see the extensive damage I can do. I'm intending to cause harm in this, whether it's gossip, whether it's slander, whether it's negativity, whether it's talking about people. It's not just a small spark. I'm actually creating a flame. I'm intending to cause extensive damage. But if you're a real man, y'all ready? <laughs> I told my son-in-law, I was like, I'm not telling you my illustration. You're just going to have to see it. And if you're a real man, my wife's like, you're going to do that from stage? I said, you're dang right I am. Yeah. So if you really, really want to cause some damage, we should probably get a fire extinguisher for second service up here. But, but if you really want to cause some damage, y'all can't hear what I'm saying, right? You know why? Because I don't want you to. It's because I always want to be right. I want, I want to have the say in the conversation. I want to say the last thing. I want to burn it down. Right? Huh? Y'all get the point. People are listening on podcasts. They're going, what in the world is he doing? Like, I should have explained a little bit in, in grave detail. But if I'm doing that, then I'm intending to be an arsonist and I'm intending to set fires and I'm intending to cause harm because you know what I did? All I had to do was open that valve and I had to ignite it and it was going by itself and I could just walk around burning everything down. And you know what the funny thing was? I noticed this this morning when I picked up and started hauling to the truck. I didn't even notice. It's got this cool, comfortable rubber handle right here and I'm like, man, that's really comfortable and it won't get hot on my hand but some of us are so comfortable in what comes out of our mouths that we're just going around setting fires. We're gossiping and we're slandering and we're negative and we don't care and we want to be right all the time and we want to be in the know and we want to continue to lie and cause deceit and harm and all that. And what James is saying is like, listen, it can cause complete devastation from a small spark to an humongous 20-pound propane tank, torch, both of them can be detrimental, not only to you, but in our walk as believers. So whether it's a small spark that might not have been intended to cause harm or it's a full-fledged torch, the consequences can cause devastation. And James is warning us, we have to monitor what comes out of our mouths. James says in verse six, he says, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and itself is set on fire by hell. And commentaries and scholars actually debate on the meaning and the punctuation of this passage. And remember last week when Jesse was talking to us about punctuation in the, in the scriptures and how they were placed to show when somebody was speaking? You guys remember that? So when the word is translated from Greek to Hebrew into our, our English language, sometimes that gets misplaced or misconstrued, um, and the punctuation can become different. And I'm not a scholar. I'm not fluent in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and all that kind of stuff, and so I'm not going to stand up here and try to give a lesson on grammar. That ain't my job. Because <laughs> I believe James's point is specifically clear in what he's trying to say here, regardless of where the punctuation lies. James says the tongue is deadly. It's devastating. It's harmful, and it could be a powerful source of evil that could corrupt our entire body and our entire life. And if we don't control our tongues and every word that flows from our mouths, we can become spiritual arsonists 
who go around spitting sparks and causing detrimental fires, not only impacting our lives, but the lives of everyone who is around us. In James 1, I preached that the tongue, if not controlled or bridled, can cause us to deceive ourselves and that our religion is worthless. And James now adds to that by saying, like a spark that lights a bigger fire, it not only defiles you, it sets the course of our lives on fire. He then goes on to inform us about the origin of where this detestable source come from, comes from, and it's set on fire by hell. One commentary said this, Hell translates the Greek word Gehenna, which is the transliteration of two Hebrew words, meaning Valley of Hinnom. I'll get a little bit nerdy on you right now. You guys like that? This valley just outside the walls of Jerusalem was where the Jewish worshipers of Moloch burned their children as sacrifices to a pagan idol. They were burning their children as a sacrifice to the God that they were worshiping. That later became a place to burn trash. It was a trash dump. And the only other New Testament use is by Jesus, and he uses it 11 times in the New Testament to refer to the place of eternal torment. Jesus refers to it as literally hell itself. And James is using this illustration of our tongue, saying that it is literally an evil tongue set on fire by Satan himself. He's saying that the words that we speak literally originate from a place where people were going and sacrificing their children to worship God. And then later it became a trash heap, a dump, a place of stench and death, and a place where people disregarded their trash. And what James is saying is this is where the pit of hell in our mouths originates from, and that we got to monitor the words that come out of our mouths. And I read another good quote this week. And it says this, most Christians would shrink back from sins like homosexuality, molesting children, or murder as being satanically depraved. Yet, we tolerate gossip, slander, deceit, half-truths, sarcastic put-downs, and other sins of the tongue as if they were no big deal. James says that all such sins have their origin from the pit of hell, and they defile the very one committing them. They destroy others. And as a believer in Christ, you must confront these sins in yourself, and you must be bold enough to confront them in others. And I love James because he uses visuals and analogies to describe what he wants to express it to his readers. I mean, in verses 7 through 8, he uses the analogy of taming wild animals. And we can tame horses and dogs, and some of you guys think you can train cats, but I don't know if you can train a cat or not. Not a cat person or a horse person. But we can even train elephants and tigers and dolphins. And some of you hunters in here even train your deer to come into your corn piles at certain times. <laughs> Something I would know absolutely nothing about. Um, but, you know, James is saying, hey, all these animals have been tamed. Many of these wild beasts have been tamed and trained by mankind. But there's one beast that can't be caged. The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Restless in the fact that it never sleeps and it must constantly be guarded. And the poison that it possesses, no man has the ability to find the antidote for. Does James say that the tongue is untamable? No. He says no human being can. So does that mean we shouldn't try? No. A tiger at the circus doesn't naturally have the instinct to walk out into a crowd and jump up on a box, right? Or the natural instinct to go jumping through a flaming hoop of fire, 
It took determination, time, patience, and training to teach the animal how to do this. But James says it's impossible to tame the tongue, so why should I even bother? Church, remember, this letter is to encourage us believers to live out our faith in the fullness of Christ, for us to continually be developing our faith and becoming more spiritually mature. This is our blueprint on how to live a Christian life and be made aware of the transformation that needs to take place within us as believers. And we may fully never control everything that we speak, but we can still determine the areas of in our lives that need work, right? And it's better to go around fighting fires than starting new ones. Amen? We can't tame the tongue, but when we allow the power of the Holy Spirit within us to take control, He can. He will give us an increasing, an increasing power He will convict us when we stumble, correct us, and give us the fruits of His Spirit, which will overcome the evil inside of us. Amen? Amen. And when we invite and allow the Holy Spirit to control our hearts on a daily basis, He will begin to transform us and train us. He will pour His Spirit out over us, and we will become the expression of love, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. We have to admit, we have to submit to His strength and his power in everything that we say and take captive every thought, making it obedient to Christ. Let's read the last few verses of today's passage. James um, 3, 9 through 12, it says this. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same springs? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And James identifies and is pretty direct that there's an inconsistency taking place among believers. And he's saying what you're doing is contrary to what you claim to believe. One minute you're praising and honoring God, and the next you're destructive to those who were made in the very image of Christ. Which is it? Which of these patterns are you claiming to be your true identity? Because what James is saying is this is contrary to nature. The same spring doesn't send out life-producing water one minute and then tainted death water the next. In Luke 6, Jesus says that a tree will be known by its fruit. And a fig tree is a fig tree, right? It doesn't produce olives. And grapevines are known for producing grapes, not figs. So neither does salt water produce fresh water. And in essence, what he's saying is that a believer should produce what a believer is supposed to produce. Amen? Amen. We shouldn't be claiming to be a follower and then produce something out of our mouths that is contrary to that. And Jesus also said this in Luke 6, 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In Matthew 15, Jesus is correcting the Pharisees about what foods defile a person based on their religious laws. And Jesus tells them it's not what goes into a person's mouth that defiles them. It's what comes out of their mouths that defiles them. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
And church, our mouth is an opening that vents what's in our hearts. Our issue isn't that we have a mouth problem. It's that we have a heart problem, amen? Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The New Living Translation says, Guard guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And the ESV says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for for from it flows springs of life. Don't we want to be springs of life, church? James is telling us that we have to guard our hearts because the taming of our, our tongues starts there. And as believers, as followers of Christ, we should be desiring to advance the gospel and be pouring out springs of life, not negativity, not dissension, not lies, not half-truths, not bitterness. We should be life-producing and not life-taking because the tongue has the power to give or to take life. Are we encouraging or are we demeaning? Are we fruitful or are we rotten? Are we life-giving or life-taking? Do we gossip, manipulate, complain, lie, and put others down? Because what we say and what we don't say are both important. And there's times we know we're supposed to keep our mouth shut, right? Like, I know when the conditions aren't right, because it might start a fire. So who and what are we allowing to govern what comes out of our tongues? Is it the flesh? Is it the fact that we want to be right? Is it the fact that we want to have the last word? Trust me, I like to be right. I want to be right all the time. But I know that I'm not. But there's times where we get mad, especially in our anger and in our rage, where stuff that comes out of our mouths shouldn't. And a lot of times we just naturally just blow it off. Oh, it's just the flesh. God knows my heart. But what James is saying is, listen, there's purpose behind every single word spoken. And Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, everybody say only, only, what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Why? So it may benefit those who listen. So it may help to advance the gospel. And ultimately, church, that's the calling that we as believers have, Right? is to reflect and to shine the light of Christ so that everybody comes to know him because of us, because of the hope that we possess and the hope that we have, right? Charles Spurgeon said this. Y'all bear with me and listen. There's a lot of punches going on today and I don't have a whole lot of hugs, but I was thinking about this on the way up here. You know, Pastor Mark always talked about punches and hugs and I'm like, man, I got a lot of punches today. I don't have a really lot of hugs, but sometimes when I get punched and I have to take time to reflect on that, it sinks in a little bit deeper, right? Unless you are, this is Charles Spurgeon, unless you are regenerated, born from above by a new and heavenly birth, you are not a Christian. Whatever you may be called, and you cannot produce the fruit which is acceptable to God in any, any more than a frig, fig tree can produce olive berries. Let me read that again. Unless you are regenerated from above, asking Jesus to come in and save us, Right? You cannot be called a Christian. You cannot produce the fruit which is acceptable to God any more than a fig tree can produce olive olive berries. He says this, you can label a fig tree an olive tree and that doesn't make it an olive tree. 
You can trim a fig tree to make it look like an olive tree, and that won't make it an olive tree. You can treat a fig tree like an olive tree, and that doesn't make it an olive tree. And you can surround a fig tree with many other olive trees, and that won't make it an olive tree. And you can even transplant that fig tree to the Mount of Olives, and that still does not make it an olive tree. And church, if we've declared Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we've been regenerated, we've been born again, then what James and Spurgeon are saying is that we can't slap a label on something and just we automatically become what that label says, right? We can't just slap a label and say, oh, I'm a Christian, and then we automatically just become that. We are, now listen, before I get a little bit, listen, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, amen? The moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is that we can tend to slap labels on things and just automatically think that we're that thing. And what Spurgeon and what even Jesus is saying and what James is saying in these passages is the fact is, is that there has to be a process that we go through. It's this process of sanctification that we're walking through as believers, being refined in the image of Christ, letting his spirit refine us and transform us so that we become more like Jesus. And what Spurgeon is necessarily saying is just because you claim a label, just because you put something in place of that, doesn't automatically make that thing become what you label it. Because what he does say is, unless you are regenerated, been born again, which if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we've been born again, amen? So he's not debating your faith and your spiritual walk and your salvation. But what he's saying is you can't just say, oh, I'm a Christian. He's saying just exactly what Jesse said last week. Faith produces action, amen? There has to be something that goes along with it. So if we are the born again body of Jesus, then we've been given his Holy Spirit inside of us to, be, to call out or to carry out his callings. So it's not enough just to claim that you're a Christian. It's not enough just to look like a Christian. And although we should, sometimes church, it's not enough just to surround ourselves with other Christians. If we're claiming to be something, but producing something completely contradictory to what we claim, then it's of no benefit to us or to those around us. And we must let the Holy Spirit transform our hearts so fully that we begin to speak in the manner that he desires in the fullness of his love. And we must fully surrender our hearts to him and allow him to transplant a new heart within us. To close out, I don't know if, if Ethan, if you want to come up and play keys or if um, Derek wants to come up, somebody wants to come and play keys. I just want to read something as I close out this morning. I know this is heavy, but listen, sometimes we need some hard truth, right? Sometimes we need to hear some things to be able for it to sink in. I'm hard-headed. I'm a man. I like the big, huge torch. I like to burn stuff down. And sometimes I need to be able to hear something in the truth. And it says, you know, if the words that are coming out of my mouth, we should be willing to acknowledge that ourselves. But you know what? As believers, I'm not saying we're judging people, but when somebody starts a conversation and they start talking negatively and they start whining and they start griping and they start being bitter they want to start gossip as believers of Jesus Christ we should be able to call that out in our brothers and sisters amen in a loving manner that isn't judgmental church we are responsible for every single word that's spoken 
and this isn't in my notes, but I'm just thinking about this whole label thing because I don't want to get confusing. I know there's controversy about scriptures and oh, I don't know if I feel faith and salvation and faith after works and blah, blah, blah. Here's the truth. If we claim to love Jesus Christ and he is our Lord and Savior, then the way that we live our lives should be a reflection of that. It should reflect that. We should be so full of hope and joy and, and words of affirmation and excitement and passion and desire to go around letting everybody that we come in contact know where we stand. I shouldn't have to wear a, a label that says Ryan Huff Christian on it. They should know by the fruit of my mouth what I'm speaking because it's so embedded within my heart that I have the love and the passion and the desire for Christ and to love his people to be able to advance his gospel. We shouldn't just have to label it. We shouldn't have to act like it either. It should be so embedded within us that we just are an outpouring, a spring of life of love and passion to every person that we come in contact with. And we will stumble and we will fall down sometimes. But if we're going around intentionally, this was not planned, by the way. If we're going around intentionally doing this all the time, then it's contrary to what, we've, to what we've, we fully believe. It's contrary to say, Lord, I'm giving you my life. I'm making you Lord of my life right now. I want you to be the author of my life and lead me and guide me in these things. But if we're not willing to recognize that we have a heart issue and we have a problem and we just continually doing this, then that's intentional. And that's what James is saying. You can't be walking around like that. You cannot claim to be one thing and live completely contradictory to what you believe. I'm gonna close this out with a letter, if that's good with you guys. I'm not gonna do an altar call today. I'm gonna read this letter that I read this week. Um, yeah, I just wanna read it. Just let me read it. Rabbi Joseph Telushkin has lectured around the country <clears throat> on the powerful and often negative impact of our words. And he asked his audiences, if they can go 24 hours without saying any unkind words about or to anybody. Let me see that. No, you're good. You can take whatever you want to take. Just, that's all right. Just the, sorry. Just the announcement. I just see the numbers. Just the other All right, thank you. He goes around asking audiences if they can go 24 hours without saying any unkind words about or to anybody. He says, invariably, a minority of listeners raise their hands in signifying yes. Most laugh and a quite large amount of people call out, no way. He responds, those who can't answer yes must recognize that you have a serious problem. If you can't go 24 hours without drinking liquor, then you're addicted to alcohol. And if you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. And similarly, if you can't go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you've lost control of your tongue. And he goes on to say, there is no area of life in which so many of us systematically break the golden rule. And he encourages his audience to monitor their conversations for two days to note on a piece of paper every time you say something negative about someone who is not present and also record when others do so as well as your reactions when that happens. 
Do you try to silence the speaker or do you ask for more details, he adds. Then he says, to ensure the test's accuracy, make no effort to change the content of your conversations throughout the two-day period. And do not try to be kinder than usual in assessing others' characteristics and actions. He states, most of us who take this test are unpleasantly surprised. So why doesn't James give us a list of helpful tips on how to control the tongue? Maybe it's because like most of us, like the alcoholic, we're in denial about the magnitude of our problem. Some of us may not recognize that it's a problem. Some of us just want to be right all the time and always have the last word. But the first step in dealing with the problem is to acknowledge, hey, I got a problem. I have a tool of Satan in my mouth. And so I'm not going to do an altar call this morning, but what I am going to do is I am going to challenge you with this same test. Many of you probably blow it off and think this is stupid, you know, whatever, and that's fine if you don't want to do it. But for those that will honor this, I want you to take, first of all, I want to challenge you to take 24 hours and not say nothing negative. Not one thing. You have to wait 24 hours before you can go and criticize what I spoke up here today to somebody, okay? <laughs> but I want to take 24 hours for us not to be intentional. You guys think you can do this? Who's, first of all, let me ask you this right now. Who thinks they can go 24 hours without saying anything negative? A few of you. How many says, absolutely not? Come on. It's going to be hard, right? I got to see a few hands that say, absolutely not. For those that say absolutely not, I want to challenge you. You can. You can. It's because you choose not to. With the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, you say, I, Lord, you help me to acknowledge every time I'm getting ready to say something, the moment my wife says, I'm, uh, nope, I'm going to be reserved. I want you to go 24 hours. I want you to take two days, take this to work, put it on your phone, do whatever you want to do. But I want you to acknowledge, every, and I don't want you to do this and do like he says, and try to be kinder or try to say the right thing so that you feel better about yourself. Remember, James is teaching us to, to, to learn and to grow, to give us this blueprint that we've got to continually be developing in our faith, right? So we're gonna take this serious for two days. Every time you say something negative, I'm gonna do this too. I know I got a problem, church. That's why I'm up here preaching. I am that right here at times. For two days, everything that's, everything that's spoken negative, every negative comment, every gossip, every lie, every half truth, every time your coworker wants to, wants to get involved or, or you want to say something negative about this church or you want to say whatever it may be, I want you to write it down. You don't have to share it. I'm not going to ask you guys to come up here and share it next week. But maybe use that to be your encouragement to say, hey man, if Pastor Ryan called me out today, I want to have this down. This is what I want to do. Don't cheat. Would you guys be willing to do that for me for two days? Because I can give an altar call up here. You know what? There may be two or three people walk up here and go, yeah, you know, I got I to gotta watch my mouth and we'll pray and we're all going to walk out there and we're going to go to the restaurant the moment that our wait waitress screws something up at lunch. Us Christian believers who are so good, who came in here and we're literally praising God. Oh God, you're holy and mighty forever. You're glorified. And we're going to have something bitter or negative to say about our waitress. And what James is saying is like, that's contrary to what you are called to do. The first step that we have to do is recognize that we have a serious problem and it's not here, it's here. So my challenge is this, we're gonna take this time to reflect. 
I want you guys to go 24 hours without saying something negative. And then seriously, monitor that. Ask your spouse to help you, not so that you get into a conflict and you start burning each other down. <laughs> My wife will call me out and I'll be like, I know, you're right. I shouldn't have said that. I have work to do, church. And the word says that we, those who teach and preach will be judged more strictly. And I want to be so full of love and passion to this congregation that I pour out springs of living water from within me onto you so that you're so filled up that you could walk out and pour springs of living water into every single person you come in contact with because that's exactly what Jesus does for us every single day. Amen.